Thanks very much. Thanks for turning out tonight. Great to see you. Great to uh, be aware that uh, we have this number of young people in the church. We keep hearing these days about young people not being in the churches, but I'm finding that the churches we work with are strong in young people. And uh, I don't know how many of you are going to mobilize, but we expect to have hundreds there. And uh, I was last week in a, a church meeting in a cinema in North London. And again, many, many young people, as well as uh, older folk, and uh, just God building His church, establishing His church in our generation in a very thrilling and exciting way. I'd like to speak to you from Matthew, if you want to follow in the Bible. I'm reading from Matthew 14. Matthew 14. And uh, I'll start reading at verse 14. Okay, we're there. This is just after the Lord Jesus has uh, done the phenomenal miracle of feeding thousands of people. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion on them, healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. The hour is already late. Send the crowds away. They may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he'd sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Father, we thank you for these 
records of phenomenal experiences that ordinary men had to see a, a man walking on a storm who came to them personally, called them even to do miraculous things themselves. We thank you, Father, you have invaded our lives with your presence. We thank you, lift us out from the norm. You invite us to a new kind of lifestyle. And Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, be our teacher now. Lord, we've come out, yes, we enjoy meeting one another, but we're even more fulfilled when we hear you speak to us. You know the things that scare us and bewilder us, confuse us, and we pray that you would speak to us tonight. Please, Heavenly Father, that we may hear you, and that our faith might grow, our confidence in you be strengthened. We might be helped in our lifestyle because we've looked at this together. So Holy Spirit, just rest upon us, please. Be our teacher. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when you read the Gospels, you read all kinds of stories and healings and parables and teachings. But above all, we probably need to understand that God was shaping the lives of 12 guys. He called 12 to be with him and he began to shape them. He was actually laying the foundations for a new community which we now call the church, the company of believers worldwide. These were the foundation stones to a new temple, the Bible says. The church, the temple of the presence of God, built upon the foundation of these apostles. And so these 12 were being shaped by him. He came to a generation, came to a generation that had lost its way. He came to a people, the Jewish people, who should have been a people of faith. They should have been a people who knew God, trusted in God, tried to live before him, expected him to be uh, with them and for them, but they'd lost their way completely. They'd become formal, they'd become religious, they'd become hostile to the very Jesus who came. They really hadn't a clue what it was to be a child of Abraham. Abraham believed God against all the odds. He stepped into a world of the supernatural because he believed God. He saw phenomenal things happen. And actually, the Bible in the Old Testament is full of people like that, like David and Moses and Joshua, people who knew God in their lives and experienced him. But by the time Jesus came, that was long gone, and by now they, they knew the ways of God, but they were not following him. They just got a legal, religious context. And so Jesus calls, one by one, 12 guys to get close to him, and he's going to shape, as it were, a new Israel, a new people. A, a 12, the Israel had 12 uh, tribes. Here's, here's going to be 12 new stones he's going to build a new people on. And he begins to train them and shape them up. And so Jesus is not shaped by events. Events happen. He's hugely popular. It says he couldn't go into one town. It's difficult to do other things because crowds were pressing around him because of the miracles he was doing, the healings, the signs and wonders. And it was a danger that his life would be shaped by events, other people's events, other people's program. But Jesus refused that and focused all the time on training up these 12. He was going to shape their lives. And it's interesting how he shaped them. He's, pre he's preparing leaders for the future. Uh, 
I went to Bible college. These guys had other experiences. Uh, they weren't trained uh, at a desk uh, with a textbook and pen and paper. Uh, they were trained in life. And in this story, they were trained by being sent into a storm. They were sent into a storm. Uh, and when I went to Bible college, it wasn't like, like turn the program, what's, what's next week's program? Oh, we're going to a storm. No, that didn't happen to me. Although, actually, it's been happening ever since. You, you find that God is shaping your life. He's making a man or woman of God of you. I remember reading a book years ago by a man called Alan Redpath. It was a story of the King David, the Bible figure, David. He said it was called The Making of a Man of God. If you're here this morning, we were looking at what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus can save you in a moment. You can become a Christian. I remember the night I became a Christian. You just ask God, please save me now. And in that moment, you step out of darkness into light, out of death into life, out of ignorance into knowing God is your Father. It's a done deal. It happens in a second. But the making of a life, the forming of a character, of a personality, of a man of God, a woman of God, that takes a bit longer. That's something that is a process. God works on you. And here, he's working on these guys by sending them into the storm. Now, when we hit storms, and of course, the, the Bible, the analogy of being in a storm, we've got to understand that speaks to us too about, yeah, we go through storms. We go through battles in life. Life's not all that easy. It's tough. And, and we can identify with this difficult seasons where we think, what's happening to me? And when we go through a storm, usually we feel, I've lost my way. What on earth happened? I got, I, I, <laughs> I got lost. I'm in a storm. I, I missed, I somehow, if you hit problems, if you're hitting real setbacks, fear, uh, even in studies or friendships or relationships or at home or with sick parents or all kinds of stuff that happens, you can think, what went wrong? Well, this, this story tells us nothing's wrong. They're sent. They're sent into the storm. That's what the first thing we notice. And uh, how did we get here? What are we doing in a storm? Well, just to remember the background, Jesus has just fed 5,000 supernaturally. And D.A. Carson, the great Bible uh, commentator, says this, that when it says 5,000, actually it says in the text, it was 5,000 men. And then there were the women and children. And so Carson says in his commentary, probably 20,000. That's his guess. Jesus has just supernaturally, from a few loaves and fishes, fed 20,000 people. It's the only miracle that's in every one of the four Gospels. It's a phenomenal thing. He fed them. And actually what's happening is he's giving them an extraordinary sign. In the Old Testament, Moses took two million people through a wilderness and they were fed. And they kind of regarded Moses as the one who made that happen. Of course, it was God who supernaturally came, but it was God providing for them. And Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18, there's another one coming like me. He's the one, there's the one who's coming. And the Old Testament is full of, there is one coming, a deliverer is coming. 
And, and there are all sorts of pointers to that. He'll be the seed of Abraham. He'll be the son of David. He'll be the servant recorded in Isaiah. There's one coming. The Bible is constantly pointing forward in the Old Testament that someone, a deliverer, an amazing figure is coming. He's a shepherd. He's a savior. He's coming. He's coming. And when John the Baptist came, it says that the crowds were so great, it was probably one of the biggest revivals in Jewish history, thousands came out to hear John. And so they said, are you the one? He said, no, I'm not the one. I'm, I'm preparing the way for the one. I'm, I'm the penultimate voice. He's coming soon. So that one is looked for. He's going he's to look like Moses, and actually they're looking for a king. That's the promise. A king will come. Of course, they already had a king called Herod. But he's going to be like David. And when David came, they already had a king called Saul. But suddenly the Spirit of God came on David, and he came through and made them in a mighty nation. And they were looking for another king who would come and throw off, actually, no longer the Philistines and Goliath, but throw off the Roman yoke. The Romans were smashing them down, spoiling their Jewishness, terribly forceful, ruining their lives. And they wanted this king who would get rid of the Romans. Will he come? When's he going to come? And then suddenly this amazing teacher and preacher who spoke like no one had ever spoken before, healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed lepers, did phenomenal, breathtaking things. Crowds followed him everywhere. And now he's fed thousands. Thousands have been fed supernaturally. And in John's account, because as I said, it's in all the Gospels, John said this, then they tried to make, take him and make him king. They tried to force Jesus' hand. They said, this is the one. Let's, John 6, 15, intending to come and take him and make him king. Now, the followers of Jesus were not really as clear as they should have been. And so you read about them in Matthew 20, for instance, when they're saying to him, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand when you come in your kingdom? And uh, two of his disciples, their mother came along and said, my, my boy, please let my boys be on your right hand and left hand. And Jesus just said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to lay down my life. And they said, oh, sure, sure. Can we sit on your right hand and left hand? I mean, they're really stupid. They don't seem to understand what it's about. They just know they're on the inside track and they're with this miracle worker every day. They see awesome things happen. And they've just seen this phenomenal miracle. And so when that happened, Jesus, seeing how unprepared they were, how they were not yet formed into the sort of people he wanted them to be, he took them, and it says in chapter 14, 22, he forced or compelled them into the boat. It's like, here comes the crowd. Jesus, you come and be king. And the disciples say, yeah, good idea. And I'm on his right hand and I'm on his left hand. I'm with him. I'm with him. And Jesus, it says, said to them, come here, get into this boat, off you go. While he withdrew into the mountain alone. He was by himself alone. You get both phrases in the verse. It's kind of underlining Jesus is unconfused by popularity. It doesn't go to his head. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, I'm really getting somewhere, Father. No, he's not touched by it. He withdraws. But he knows his disciples are very vulnerable to becoming popular, getting power. And so it's important for us to see that when these guys were sent into a storm, the setting was actually, it was even more dangerous 
to be on the shore. It was even more dangerous to think, here I go. I've got to have a position. They needed help. They needed to be changed. They needed to be shaped. They needed to see who Jesus really was. And so here they are actually in the will of God. And as you look at Old Testament characters, you'll find that God will come to a person like David. You know, David is just a boy. He's a teenager. And there's Goliath stomping around. And David takes him out. And then and Saul says, come into my palace and, and be a commander of my soldiers. And David swishes around the palace and it says the girls sang and said, oh, David has slain his ten thousands. And you know, David's doing pretty well. It's a pretty exciting place to be. And then suddenly, where is he? He's in a cave with 300 people in debt. And you think, well, I thought I was going to soar the heights. Well, actually, maybe one day, but for the time being, you can get in a cave. You see, Joseph, Joseph gets a vision. God gave him a phenomenal vision of the destiny that was before him. But you don't, why? Here we go. No, 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 that's not where you go. You're in a hole in the ground, and then you're pulled out and you're sold to Egypt, and then you're in Potiphar's house, then you're lied against that you abused this woman, then you're in prison. You think, huh? But actually, the end of the story, yes, you do fulfill. You do come through to your destiny. But there's a, there's a journey, there's a process, there's, a, there's, there's some pain on the way. There's some difficulty and the shaping of a character and a personality. So here these guys are sent into a storm, right? So let's just make some points about this. This was planned pressure. It was planned. See, what's happening to me? No, it was planned. Why am I in a storm? Because Jesus sent you there. Being in a storm is no proof that you've lost the will of God. Right? So if you're going through difficulty at the moment, you think, I don't understand what's happening. I'm so missing home. I'm so worried about what's happening. I, I don't seem to be doing so well in my studies. I don't, there are lots of things that can hit you and scare you. And you think, what happened to me? Well, he sent them there. And being in a storm is no proof that you've lost the will of God. And the flip side of that is this. Obedience to Christ does not guarantee a storm-free life. Just do whatever Jesus says and you'll never hit a storm. Uh, no. You do what Jesus says and you hit a storm. So it's, it's important to know that because so often we misinterpret difficult days. We think, I've lost the way. I'm out of the will of God. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm bewildered. No, these guys are there because Jesus sent them there. You say, well, how did I get to Kingston? How did I get to college? What am I doing? Well, I felt I followed the Lord. I felt he said go. I felt he opened the way. As far as I know, I'm doing what God told me. So don't panic. They were there by the will of God. Jesus sent them into a storm, deliberately and purposefully. Secondly, it was, it was really painful. It was planned pressure. It was painful pressure. The Sea of Galilee is, is, is 13 miles long. It's seven and a half miles wide. And it, it says they were in the middle of the lake. So it isn't that they just rode out a little way and here comes a storm. Whoops, let's get back. No, no, no. It, it's, it's when you get in the middle that it starts hitting. I found every little kind of word and phrase here is fascinating. 
is when they get into a place where there doesn't seem an easy way out. You can't say, oh, whoops, let's get out of here. No, they're in the middle of the lake. It's beyond their ability to change the circumstances. They can't do anything about it. It's very scary when that happens. You think, well, I, it's, it's out of my control. The way things are happening, you see, we like, to, we like to be in control. We like to think, I'm making the choices. I'm calling the tune. And sometimes, dear friends, you get into situations where you think, I can't do anything about this. It's outside of, I'm just in this, and I, I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I, I'm stuck. And that's where Jesus sent them, to a place outside. They couldn't change it. That happens to you, and it's scary when you think, what's happening to me? Because it, I can't... See, <laughs> these guys, these days, you know, if you don't like the channel, you press the thing, don't you? Remote chain. Especially guys, I think, when it comes to the adverts, I'm forever doing this. What's on the other side? What's changed the channel? I don't know if you ever saw a movie. There was a movie with uh, Peter Sellers in it, and it was called Being There. And uh, it, it wasn't like the Clouseau movies. It was a bit different. And uh, uh, quite strange, really. He was a butler in a big home, and he was actually not very brilliant. And, it had, and he'd never really got out of the home. He just stayed in the home. He had his room, had a television. And when he wasn't just doing stuff around the home, he just sat in his room and lived in an almost unreal world. And uh, he, he's just watching television. He's just changing remotes all the time. And then the house, I forgot what happens, but the whole thing ends and he's out of the house and he's walking down the street and, and he's never really been out in the real wide world before. And he's walking down the street, some, some young thugs come up to him with a knife and as they're walking towards him, he looks really scared so he, he takes the remote out of his pocket and tries to press the button. <laughs> Let's change the channels, I don't like this. But you know, in real life you can't do it. In real life, you can't just change the channels. You, you, you hear these guys are unable to walk away. You can get in problems. I can't see a way out of this. I, I've committed myself. I, I, can't, there's no, I can't go back. And I can't seem to go right and left. I'm, I'm in this. And you will find yourself in circumstances where that will happen to you. You think it was out of my control. Scary. It says this, here's some of the verses, here's some of the phrases. They're in the middle of the lake. The wind was against them. Outward circumstances were negative. It's like, it's like, it's hostile. There's a hostile thing happening to me. The wind was against them. Things were, they couldn't relax. See, sometimes you get into situations, well, I'd like to stop that, but I can't stop that. Because if I'd stop that, then this will happen. I've got to keep working, because if I don't get the money... Then I, I, and so you, I can't stop rowing. If I stop rowing, I'm going to be hurled over. And, and so you get into a situation, I don't know how to get out of this, and the wind is contrary, and it says they were blown backwards, as it were. The wind was against them. And then it says this, they were straining at the oars, and in the margin it says they were harassed in rowing. They're stra now they're straining. And it's interesting, it says they were battered by the waves, and in the margin of my translation here, the one I'm using, in the margin it says they were tormented by the waves. And it's the same Greek word that's used of demonic activity. They're tormented by it. It's like the storm is no longer out there. It's in here. And that has, 
It's horrid when you think, oh, I can't sleep. I can't get out of this. I, I'm tormented by this. I'm, it's in the storm is inside now. It's not just the events. It's not just the circumstances. It's got to me. And they were harassed. They were tormented. The storm on the lake is now inside them. And then it says this, it was prolonged. It was dark. Jesus sent them at the end of the day. He'd been uh, feeding, teaching, healing. And then he sent them in the evening. It says he came to them in the fourth watch, which was between 3 and 6 a.m. So let's say it's 4 a.m. I mean, you've been rowing for hours and hours and hours. This, you think, when's this going to stop? And again, that's another uh, cry from the Bible. How long, O oh Lord? You find that in the Psalms. It's one, it's one of the ways the Bible people worship God, that they still say, God, where are you? When you can't see, and yet somehow you know he's there. <laughs> but he's not acting for you. It says the darkness came, but Jesus hadn't come yet. And all, I'm more aware of darkness than I'm aware of Jesus. And Jesus sent them into that. It's difficult. It's when like Lazarus died. Do you remember it says that Lazarus, he whom you love, is sick. They sent word to Jesus. I can imagine Mary and Martha thinking, if only Jesus was here. If only Jesus was here. And then someone is sent. Can you find him? And they go and find him and they talk to him and say, Lazarus is sick. And then they go back. It's okay. I saw Jesus. I told him. He'll be coming. And he doesn't come at all. He says he stayed where he was for two more days. Lord, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come sooner? And that can be prayed, if you like, in some real anguish sometimes. But notice this, last of all on this, it was purposeful. It was prolonged and it was purposeful. It was planned, it was painful, it was prolonged, it was purposeful. The Bible says this, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though some strange thing was happening to you. I think that's what, that's what troubles us when we think, well, you kind of got the idea, if I, if I become a Christian, everything will be okay. All will be rosy, life will be easy. And so we're surprised when we hit storms. And, and the Bible says, don't be surprised, because if you're surprised, you're, in, you're, you're caught off balance. It's like stepping into the ring with, with Tyson and saying, he hit me. You say, well, you're lucky you didn't bite your ear off. <laughs> There's trouble. There will be trouble. The Bible promises there will be trouble. That's the way it's going to be. And don't be surprised at the fiery trial. 1 Peter 1, now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God gives us the gift of faith, but then he tests and tries it and puts pressure on puts you in the heat. Think, God, where are you? And, and it says in the, and when they went through the wilderness, he said, I, I, I stood back from him to see what was in your heart. So we go through trials where God is, is seeing what's in our heart. Will we keep trusting? Will we keep believing in him? So the, the trial of faith is, is precious. It's like gold will be refined by fire. It's going to happen to us. I remember I, when I was at Stonely Bible Week many years ago, I felt God gave me a sermon about 
being an arrow for God. And uh, I felt the imagery of it came home to me quite strongly that uh, an arrow, it used to have another life. It was a branch in a tree. And, uh, you know, you, you, you cut the branch out and it becomes something else. And what struck me very forcibly was this, that when I became a Christian, I, I didn't actually get cut out very much. I stayed where I was and I asked Jesus into my heart, which was kind of the language we used. You want to become a Christian? Ask Jesus into your heart. That's not really very Bible language. The Bible language was, follow me. Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. Jesus said to Abraham, or at least the Old Testament figures, they said to Abraham, come out. I'll show you a place. Come out. Come out. It's like, come out from the tree. I, I was like a branch that stayed in the tree and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And then I had all these other idols, and I said, well, shove along a bit. Let Jesus come in. So there was nothing radical about it. I didn't, I didn't step out. I stayed where I was and asked Jesus in. And I was a pretty useless Christian. I went to church on Sunday mornings and that was it. I carried on with all kinds of other trash that I liked and I enjoyed and I didn't want to say goodbye to. And well, I like that. So why don't I do it? And Jesus, you come along and I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. I'm really sorry. Um, but there was nothing radical about it. And I felt God really spoke to me and said, no, to become an arrow... You have to be cut out. Imagine, imagine saying to a branch, how would you like to fly? And the branch was saying, what's flight? How would you like to speed through the air? What's speed? How would you like to hit a target? What's a target? There's all kinds of this new life that won't translate to a branch. You have to be cut out. Now, it's the same piece of wood, but you have to become something else. And God does that. He takes us out from what we were. And all, all those values, and for me, all my friends, I lost all my friends, went through a tough period. My parents, who were not Christians, said, what are you doing? You're losing all your friends. You're spoiling your life. And I, and I knew God ultimately said, no, I want your life. Come on out, you come. And for me, it was quite a painful season, actually. Because I, I just asked Jesus into my heart, but I was a useless Christian. I was all the time hypocrisy. I was just a hypocrite. I was compromised because I hadn't come out. And when I, when I came out, it was very painful. Lost friends, lost a fiance, and I just was lonely. And I, I hated it actually. But <laughs> I look back now, I think, oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you did beat me up. <laughs> you did. You did kind of wreck my old life. But you took me out to start a new life altogether. It was pretty painful surgery. I, I preached this sermon, I preached it at Stonely Bible Week, about being that branch being made into something else. You know, the leaves being cut off and the twigs off the branch. You know, it's like if you hey, that's part of me. You know, you don't need, can't I keep that leaf? You know, what are you doing cutting off that twig? It's me, it's part of me. And you say, well, actually, you know, if you're going to become... An arrow, arrows don't go too well with leaves off the edge. It's, are you going to identify with your new identity? It's an arrow. You're a new person. And I, was trying, I was trying to cling to the old leaves and go, it's got to go, got to go. Anyway, I preached this. And I preached it in Kansas City just a few weeks after I'd been at Stonely Bible Week. And I preached it again. And a guy came up to me afterwards. He said, he said I liked your sermon. I said, oh, thank you. He said, I make arrows. It's my job. 
Because in the States, you get people, I guess you're elsewhere, but uh, several of my friends, they go hunting with very modern bows. I mean, they've got all wheels and rope. Fantastic. And he makes arrows. So he said, I thought you might be interested to know. He said, there comes, we, we, take the, we take the branches, we cut off the surplus twigs and leaves. He said, we then, he said, we put them in a machine. And there are kind of troughs, uh, and you put each stick in, into a different trough. You feed it in. And then he said, then you put the lid down. You pass water right through the machine. And then you turn the heat up. Oh, yeah. And he said, we know exactly how long to leave the arrows in the heat. So if we, if we leave it too long, the wood just mushes up. It just loses its density, and we've wrecked it. If we don't leave it long enough, when you take them out, and you're trying to scrape off the kind of outer bark, you can really damage the wood. So you leave it in exactly the right amount of time. And when you take it out, you just scrape off the outside and you've got that wonderful white wood on the inside that you can polish and make into an arrow. He said, so you have to leave it in the heat for a while and we know exactly how long to leave it in the heat. He said, is that helpful? I said, oh, that's helpful. <laughs> See, if they know how long to leave it in the heat. Don't you think maybe God knows? When you're thinking, Lord, what's happening to me? I hate this. Can't you get me out of this? I hate the loneliness. I hate the pressure. I hate the fear. I hate the uncertainty. What's going on? And this guy said, well, we have to do this because it gets rid of what's not ultimately going to be part of it's." It's like here it says, your, your faith, more precious than gold, tested by fire. It's the same sort of imagery, really. Tested by heat to get rid of stuff that you don't need. And sometimes battles go on in our lives because God wants to make us into another person. He want, he's going to form ordinary fishermen and tax collectors, just guys who don't know much about it, who are saying, hey, I want to be in your right hand. I want to be on your left hand. Whoa, we're going to take... And Jesus said, no, you haven't got a clue yet. You really haven't got a clue yet. I'm bringing a totally new kingdom of meekness and gentleness and faith and love and purity, and I'm going to do it with you. But you need some treatment. So he sent them into the storm, and they went through the pressure. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, this light momentary affliction prepares you for an eternal weight of glory. It doesn't seem light. It doesn't seem momentary. But that, when you get the eternal perspective, you think, oh, of course, it was only light. It was only momentary. Apparently, Mother Teresa said this, at the end of our lives, we'll look back, and we look back from eternal glory, and we'll see life as one night spent in a bad hotel. This light momentary affliction. Eternal glory lies before. And so... He sent them into the storm. The next thing I want to say is this. He saw them in the storm. Now, this is the big challenge, that you feel like Jesus doesn't know it's happening to you. That's the biggest fear, when you feel, well, where's Jesus? Where is he? He's not here. We're on our own. And, of course, this is part of the training, because soon Jesus is going to leave these guys in terms of physical presence. They're used to waking up. They're used to, John said, we've handled him. We touched him. We leaned on him. He's there. He's like, put your arm, his arm around your shoulder. And now he's not going to be there soon. Soon, 
they're going to do this work of evangelizing the world, and Jesus isn't going to be there. Where's he going to be? Well, he's going to go up through the heavens. And so this training lesson, they're on the storm, and he's gone up the mountain. It's like he's not there. It's getting them ready for what, like, it's training them for when he's not going to be there. And where are they going to hit the storm? What storm? Well, the Sanhedrin, the authority, the Jewish authority who say to them, you must no longer preach in this name. We will beat you. We will kill you. We will put you in prison. (gasps) What's happening? Well, we've been through this storm before. It's training for storms that are coming. And so he was there seeing them. He saw them in the storm. And fear is a great enemy. You see, fear kind of drives a wedge between you and God. If Satan can kid you that God doesn't know and God doesn't care and God's not going to do anything about it, you're on your own, that is his great weapon to make you feel alone in the storm. God is not with you. God doesn't care. God can't do anything. That's the fear. But actually the truth is this. He had seen them. And actually, he starts coming to them before they start shouting for him. He takes the initiative. He comes to them. The darkness had come. Jesus had not yet come, but now he's coming. And it's interesting. It says he was in the mountain praying, and he saw them. Well, I don't know about you, but I've had the privilege of going to some third world situations, and at night, you can't see anything. We actually live in a road now here in uh, Surbiton where there's no streetlights. It's an unadopted road at night. It's totally dark. You know, you get out of the car, you think, where am I? It's, and here, there's, not, there's no floodlights over this lake. It's totally black. And yet he can see them. And so we're not just talking here about ordinary visibility. We're talking about something supernatural. Uh, He's gone up a mountain, but he can still see them. And what's more, he can see right into their hearts. And so we get this wonderful verse. I love it. In Hebrews chapter 4, let me read it to you. It says in verse 13 of Hebrews 4, There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's all open and laid bare. There's nothing he can't see. He's up in the mountain, but he can see right into their hearts. And it says in the next verse, Therefore, since we have a great priest, a high priest, who has what? Passed through the heavens. He's up the mountain. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things. So let's draw near to him with confidence to the throne of grace. We might find grace in time of need. It's saying, listen, he does know, he can see, even when you think it's totally dark, he sees. And Jesus sort of sent them there, but he also saw them there. He was acquainted with what was happening to them. It was not hidden from him at all. Everything's open to him. You say, God doesn't know, he does. He knows perfectly. So he sent them there, he saw them there, and finally, he saved them. He took the initiative. He came to them. It was his responsibility. I want us to hear this. 
If Jesus sends you somewhere, it's his responsibility to look after you. See, if Jesus says to go, he doesn't abandon you. If he says, says, now, I'm sending you here, he's not going to back off. He will, he will own his responsibility. He sent you, so it's, you're his responsibility. And he, he understands it that way. If he sent you to Kingston, if he sent you to college, if he sent you, hey, it's his responsibility. And he's, he comes to them on the storm. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? When he was on the mountain, we find another chapter just not far from here. Jesus is on the mountain. There's Peter, James, and John. And it says this, he was transfigured before them. And, and the, 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 the very fact that he's God comes shining out. It's not like Moses. Moses, we're told, his face reflected glory, and so he put, a, he put a scarf over his face so you wouldn't see the reflected glory. With Jesus, he was shining so much, it says even his clothes shone. The, the clothes couldn't hold back the glory. It's, it's emanating from him. This is God in the flesh. This is the very wonder. We are not talking about some prophet, teacher, healer. We're saying God came down in human form and got involved in human lives. That's what we're talking about as Christians. We're saying God has come to us. God is involved with us. The living God who created all things is involved in my life. He has called me into relationship with him. It's breathtaking. And he comes to them, and he comes down, and I wonder how often when he was on a mountain alone with his father, he was transfigured. Maybe that wasn't the only time in what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe when he was alone up there sometimes, maybe then with his father. Who knows? Whatever. He came down the mountain. <laughs> He'd been with his father. He's celebrating who he really was, the very son of God. He walks down the mountain, comes to the water, and keeps walking. <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. He keeps walking. And when they see him, they think, it's a ghost. In fact, that's when they became terrified. They were, they were scared of the storm, but they're terrified when they see him. That's their high point of fear when Jesus is coming. They think it's a ghost. Why? Well, maybe he did look like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe he looked really strange. I don't know, but he's walking, and, and, and this is great. He says his words are this, take courage, right? Take courage. That's God's word to you. He said, well, I don't know what's happening to me. Don't be scared. You say, well, I, no, no, that's a command. It's like, don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't fear. Be anxious for nothing. That's a command. You have to obey the command. Jesus says, don't be frightened. See, fear is so powerful. It can, it can rob you of all your energy. All your energy pours out of your boots. You think, I'm scared. No, Jesus says, don't. Take courage. And then this wonderful word, it says, it is I. Now, we don't often say that, do we? We often say, it's me. Well, that's grammatically wrong to say it's me. We say it's me. But it's interesting that what Jesus actually said, the words he uttered were these words, ego, I, me. Now, that is an unusual way of speaking because in, in the Greek language, you don't need to say ego. You just, the verb, I, me, means I am. And so you don't have to say I. That's the way that language works. You just say I, me, and that means am. It means it must be I am. 
But Jesus didn't. He said, ego, I me, I am. And when he said, I am, there were several occasions in the Gospels when Jesus speaks emphatically, I am. On all those occasions when he says things like this, I am the true vine. Ego, I me. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I, he's saying again, I am God. It's that name when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? The voice comes back and says, I am that I am. And Jesus is saying, don't be frightened. I am. It happens other times. It says this, that when they went to, the Mount, uh, to Gethsemane, they said, uh, uh, Jesus said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And it says this, Jesus stood up and said, ego I me. I am. Now some of your uh, translations will have I am he. Uh, one of the reasons I like using the NASB, the NU American Standard Bible, is every time a word is inserted in the English, which is not actually in the Greek, they put it in italics to help you understand. They just put that word in to give the flow of language, but it's not actually in the Greek. So when, the, when, when that happened in Gethsemane, or, uh, and they say, Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I, he, says he stood for, he said, I am. And they all fell back. Remember that story? You might think, why did they fall back? I am. Elsewhere, he says, before Abraham was, he doesn't say I was, he says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Another place he says this, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sin. So this is a statement about his deity. It's a statement about his deity. Leon Morris says in his commentary, the expression has overtones of deity. Who but God can walk on stormy waters? But notice the two things. I am. It's me. That, that, that's what the incarnation is all about. The God of glory comes to you and to me and says, it's me. Don't be scared, it's me. This one who came right down to be our friend. The one you know. Peter, you know me. John, you know me. That The God of glory, I can know him. I, this life, John writes in his epistle, we handled, the life was manifested. We beheld him, we touched him. The God of glory becomes, it's me, your friend, alongside He comes to us, dear friends, in our problems. And actually, in pressure, you can meet him in a way you never met him before. I know for myself, that period of time I went through, I mentioned earlier, when, yeah, life got very hard and tough, I would say I got to know Jesus like I never, ever met him before. I actually got filled with the Spirit during that time. I encountered God. I'd never encountered God like that before. And it's often in pressure times you meet Jesus. You think, Lord, I never knew I could meet you like this. He makes himself known in a new way. Before I finish, I just want to take us to Simon Peter. Just let's look at this. This is the thing that's fascinating. I read this in my, uh, my Bible reading just last week. And I, I just, I'd never kind of given thought to this. I've never, I'd never particularly preached on Peter walking on water. But it really stirred me. First of all, when Peter says, if it's you, 
tell me to come to you. And what, first of all, it's, this is what struck me, the faith that Jesus inspired in people. You see, we can often think of Jesus as a teacher, you know, a moralist, a religious leader, healer. But one of the things, being around Jesus made people dream big dreams. They made, made people think, I could do, I could be complete, I could experience, I could walk on water. That's what Peter thought. Peter thought, I could do that. What makes a man think that? That's crazy. Why? Well, he's been around Jesus. He's been around Jesus when Jesus said, right, you feed them. You know, and he says, gives Peter the bread. You know, you feed them. I can imagine Peter taking a bit for you and a bit for you and 5,000, goodness, 20,000. No, but after a while, he's, hey, he's tearing off. Yeah, I can do that. I can do this. I can do it. Jesus sent them out in twos. Go, heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. And they went and they did it. They came back and said, hey, the demons are... They, they could do things you could never do because they were Jesus. They could walk in a way they'd never walked because they'd been with Jesus. And, and Jesus inspired men to live a completely different life. He made impossibilities possible. And Peter didn't think, oh, he said, no, let me do it. Do you feel that sometimes? I found such joy for me in the last few years praying for the sick and seeing healings. I've been a Christian for many years, but probably this last five years, I've seen more healings than I've ever seen. Because I'm just kind of getting into this more and thinking, no, Jesus said, he that believes in me, the things I do, he'll do also. I prayed for a lady in Leeds, she's a doctor, she had a bent spine. And I prayed for her, and as I'm praying for her, her spine starts moving. And her husband put his arms around her, he said, your back feels completely different. And then she sent me photographs later, x-ray pictures, of her spine when she was married, and her spine now. And I mean, it's just wonderful. <laughs> I was with the, her pastor, Tony Smith, last week. He said, oh, she still talks about it. But then I went down to Mexico, and a lady came to me and said, I've got a bent spine. And you know, I, a faith just went in my heart. I thought, that's that, like that. I said, it won't be for long. I thought, <laughs> honestly, honestly, that happened. I, I, I felt, what have I said? I said, it won't be for long, because it was exactly like this other lady. And I just prayed. I said, come straight. And she began to shake. She fell down. And when she got up, her back was completely healed. I thought, oh my word. <laughs> now I was in Mexico back in November and this same lady came, she spoke to Wendy first, my wife. She said, my life was changed when your husband was here last time. Then she came to me and said, would you pray for my daughter? She's deaf in one ear. I thought, yeah, okay. And I put my finger in her ear and I commanded it to hear. And this girl's face, a big smile and tears down her face. And I'm doing this and she said, I can hear completely. I can hear completely. I was, I was absolutely amazed. I've never seen that before. I was so excited. I thought, Lord, Jesus said this, the things I do, you shall do. And greater things you shall do. That Peter thought, he did it, I can do it. He did it, I can do it. 
We can step into this. We can do it. We can do it. When I came in this morning, I'm just looking around if I can see him. I don't think he's here tonight. Guy came up to me this morning and I just said to him, oh, hello, nice to meet you. He said, you prayed for me a month ago. I said, I'm sorry, I don't remember. He said, you healed my back. I said, well, that's not exactly how I would put it. But, <laughs> but Peter thought, I can do it. The excitement of knowing Jesus. We can step into something completely new. We can get into another kind of a life. But Peter didn't presume. Notice this. He said to him, if it's you, tell me to come to you. I love that. He said, it's the Lord. Here I'm going. No, no. He said, if it's you, tell me. Now, he understood some stuff. He understood. If he tells me, it's his responsibility. <laughs> Isn't that true? It must be true, mustn't it? If it's you, tell me to come. And when Jesus said, come, the Greek word is elthe, come. Do you know, when Jesus said come, in that moment, the power of gravity was overcome. You know, that gravitational pull, uh, all what we would call the laws of nature. When Jesus said elthe, everything else had to get into line. Because you're now, my word is bigger than anything. Come. And, and he stepped out. That word changes everything. See, when he, came to, when he came to Moses, Moses said, Oh, don't send me. I can't go. I can't speak. God said, I send you. Now he can do it. He came to Gideon. Gideon's scared. He's in the cave. He says, Gideon, I, I, have I not sent you? Now he can do it. He can do it now. He's told us, I've sent you. You can do it. The word changes everything. When God speaks in that commanding way, it begins to happen. With a word, everything changes. I will make you fishers of men. His word changes everything. I can do this stuff. I can do it. I can be that. Peter said, if it's you, tell me to Come. Come. Now I can do it. I will go out on the strength of his word. I will walk towards him. You know, Peter says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, he has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. That's the NIV translation of 2 Peter chapter 1. I, I, I use this other translation, and it says, he has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it's a, it's a kind of wordy thing, and I missed it, really. When I read it in the NIV, he has granted me everything I need for life and for godliness. You think, life's hard enough. Godliness? Come on. Now he's given me everything I need for it. I know the first time I read that in the NIV, I remember sitting at my desk in my office and I thought, he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. I was so excited. I started walking around my office. In the end, I left my office, walking up and down the street. He's given me everything I need. He has said, come on, life, godliness, everything I need. It's like he said to Peter, come, you can do it. We can live a different kind of life. We were looking at some of that this morning, really, from Romans 6. You can live a different kind of life because of his call. Follow me. Come to me. 
It's built on the power of His Word. We live by the power of His Word. He spoke, creation came into being. He speaks words to us. They have power in them. We respond to them. We say, okay, here I come. Here I come. I'm coming to you. I'm walking to you. And then you see the sad word. He began to walk. He walks right out to where Jesus is. He's got as close to Jesus that when he begins to shrink, uh, sink, he, Jesus can just grab him. He has walked to Jesus. He's walked on water. And then seeing the wind, a silly boy, he couldn't, he got his eyes off Jesus. He got his eyes off Jesus and began to slip. And it's interesting to see what Jesus, what Jesus says, ah, oh, don't worry. Well done, well done, Peter. You got this far. Oh, well done, proud of you. No, no, he doesn't say that at all. <laughs> he says to him, you little faith. That's the, if you look at the Greek, that's exactly what it says. It's like I made a little name, like a little, you little faith. Little faith, I'm walking on storm. <laughs> Why did you doubt? He doesn't say, well, I know it's very difficult walking on storms, and I know you've never done it before, and well done. He doesn't say that. He says, you little faith. Why do you doubt? Now, actually, I find that phenomenally encouraging. That robust statement, that kind of, you could do it, but I can't. Temptation's so great. Come on, you little faith. But I can't live like that. Come on, little faith. That's what he's saying. And you know, wow, if you hear that, if you really hear that, it's frightening, scary, and wonderful. That's God saying to you, you can do it. He's not saying, no, I, can't. I know it's very hard to walk on water. I know, of course, you've never done this before. You're bound to. No, 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 no. You little faith. And let's understand this. It wasn't Jesus having a bad day. Oh, Jesus lost his temper that day. He had a bad day. Jesus in a bad mood. No, Jesus was never in a bad mood. He only ever was the pure. This is, he was the exact image of the Father. He is the perfect display of God. He never, it was not unblemished. This is God. This is what God thinks. Little faith. So it's true. And that's so, encourage, so encouraging. It's like, come on, you can do this stuff. It's only water. And, and the more you think about it, the more I pondered this, you, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? You think of the power of Jesus' gaze. See, it's not a technique, it's Jesus, isn't it? And I think if he'd kept his eyes on those, on those eyes, if Peter had kept looking at Jesus, if Peter had just seen those eyes looking at him, come on, Peter, instead of, oh, look at that wave. No, look at those eyes. If we will keep our eyes on Jesus, and all the confidence that he exudes, all he, he is the life-imparting spirit, the Bible says. He says we've died to the law, we might be joined to him, that we might bear fruit. He's a life-imparter. Energy comes out from him. But it's he who does it. It's not technique, it's not learned style, it's Jesus. We keep our eyes on him, we don't get our eyes off him, 
Why did you doubt? If you look at uh, Phil Moore's commentary on Matthew, I looked at his, what he says there. He says, the Greek word distatso includes the thought of two. Why did you look in two places? He says that, that's the kind of undergirding thought there. Why, why you look to this and you look to this. Come to me. Yeah, but what about the exams? What about my money? What about, no, 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 stop, look at me. Look at me. If you look at me, you can walk. Why did you look in two places? Just keep looking to me. You can live a new life. You can walk in a new way. And beloved, even when you slip, he takes responsibility for you. It's like I said this morning. He that's born of God doesn't sin, but if we sin, he's there. Gotcha. Oh, thank you, Lord. When he walks back to the ship or the boat, he's perfectly safe because Jesus has got him. Jesus has got you anyway. But it's so much more wonderful to keep looking at him and keep walking. He will care for you. He won't abandon you. It's just, and so that was the end of Peter's life. Whoops, goodbye, Peter. No, no, no. <laughs> this is the end of Simon Peter. No, he's got him. He will hold you anywhere. He'll take responsibility for you. He said, come. So you're his responsibility. But you can walk in a new way. You can walk with Jesus into a new life. So, you in a storm? What's happening to me? I don't understand. Well, there's, there's a bigger picture. How long is this going to last? Well, God knows how long to leave the arrows in the heat. He knows what he's doing. All right, will you trust him tonight? It may be, and I felt, what do I speak to these students about tonight? I felt God really impressing this on me. I don't know what's in your heart, but it says of Jesus, all is laid bare before him. He knows what's in your heart. He knows some of you. You're thinking, God, I'm scared. I don't know what's happening. Have I lost you? No, no, he sent them into it. They weren't in a storm because they'd lost Jesus. They were in a storm because they obeyed Jesus. It didn't mean they'd lost him. They were where he put them. Take courage. He knows what he's doing. Understand he won't leave you. He will come to you. And he comes in power. And he can be trusted. He's inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to live a life of faith. He's shaping 12 lives. He's going to build a church on it. He's going to build it on the foundation of these guys whose lives he is shaping. God's got wonderful plans for Kingston. He wants to build a great church here. He's got plans for that bingo hall. So we have, oh, yes, Lord. I believe with all my heart. I believe God wants us to believe for it. Certainly Wendy and I have moved here thinking God wants something great in Kingston. I'm thoroughly persuaded God's in it. God wants a great testimony. It's hundreds worshipping him. Hundreds praying. Hundreds celebrating. Hundreds of needy people being reached out to by a loving, caring community in a world that's so lost its way. A generation that doesn't know what life's about, getting wrecked while they're so young. And we've got the answer. God wants to raise up a testimony here. But he wants to believe in community. And we've got in early. We're somewhat foundational to the community. 
He wants to shape our faith and then build others in who learn about faith, trust, confidence in God, even in storms. Okay, let's just stand and we'll pray. Maybe some of you are more identifying with this than others. You might feel, oh boy, this is just where I am. This is just where I am. I've really been so bewildered. I found it so scary. Why don't you just come to the Lord right now and just talk to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you know us through and through. We thank you, Lord, that to you all things are open and laid bare. We thank you, you see how we get tormented on the inside. We get scared. We get bewildered. We think we've lost God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will please come freshly. If you'd like someone just to pray over you, and I'd love to pray over you, and you feel, God, I just need you tonight. This has spoken to me. I just need you. I just want to really receive grace from you now. If, you, if you, that's how you're feeling at the moment because of what God's led us to, why don't you just slip out of the row and just come here. Just step forward. Just come right now, please. Say, so I just need someone to pray over me. Come on, let's just come to Jesus. Let's get our eyes right back on him again. God knows. And, and if you... If you if you often pray for people, there might be some leaders here. Maybe just come behind. You've got friends who've come. Just stand behind them. Guys behind guys. Girls behind guys. Let's, I'm going to pray, but please, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, come and stand behind people. Let's pray for them. Let's love them. Let me just pray first. But if you could pair up, that would be so nice. We're just expressing love. We're just saying, I'm, trust. I'm with you, all right? We're together in this. We'll stand with you. We're coming to Jesus. Let's, let's, just, let's just see him. Let's see him striding. Let's see his eyes. Let's understand, though, he is, he is utterly for you, okay? The fact that things have been tough does not mean you've lost the Lord. He sends us into tough times. He knows what he's doing. Let's, let's believe that, dear friends. We know God makes all things work together for good. The verse begins with these two words, we know. It's knowing it. We know. You can know that verse. God makes all things work. No, the, the, the two verse, first words are we know. It's knowing. God knows we know. We know he makes things work together for good. Now, just know it in your heart. Know it, know it, know it. Understand he's for you. He's with you. He won't abandon you. He has not abandoned you. 
Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you so much that you know us through and through. You're so for us. I want to thank you for your love. We've sung about it tonight, Lord. Love amazes us. I stand amazed at your love. You've removed our guilt as far as the east is from the west. Lord, I stand amazed when I realize your love for me. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for your love for every one of these dear children of yours that you have redeemed, that you shed, you shed your blood for, you committed yourself to. Thank you, you said you are my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Thank you, Jesus, you said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you that you love us, Lord, that you're for us. Thank you, Lord, that we're precious. You said you are my special treasure. Lord, thank you. Don't lose special treasures. You don't take your eye off special treasures. You don't abandon special treasures. We thank you like the prodigal when he turned around and, and started walking back, found the, the, the father fell upon his neck and embraced him. Lord Jesus, I pray for these dear ones right now. Let them feel, even now, your embrace. Just receive the love of Jesus. It's all free. You don't have to earn it. He'll never stop loving you. He's utterly committed to you. He's totally for you. The psalmist said this, This I know, God is for me. Do you believe it? This I know, God is for me. It says also, cast your care on him, for he cares for you. It literally means this, it matters to him about you. Do you believe it? It matters to him about you. Once more, it matters to him about you. You are the apple of his eye, the pupil. He, he loves you. He cares for you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for a full recovery. I pray, Lord, just reach out your hand. Say, save me, Jesus. Lord, thank you. You, you. you take us to yourself. Thank you. You breathe new confidence into our hearts. And Father, I just want to pray for these dear ones. Breathe new confidence. Breathe new confidence. Give certainty. Give confidence and joy and peace. Lord, we love you so much. It'd be great if the musicians could just slip up here and just begin to play their instruments a little. Let's just draw near to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. Drink in his love. If you've come up to pray, just pray lovingly for the one in front of you. Just pray with love. Pray with faith.